Hi everyone and welcome back to Critcast Pod, the podcast that finds the personal side behind the persona of world leading athletes and performers. I'm your host Sam Crick and I'd like to thank you, the Critcast community, for your comments and reviews for the last episode with Ryan Green. It showed the side of athletics that many may not see, a talented young athlete that didn't quite make the big time for a career ending injury. If you are yet to check out that episode, then please feel free to listen to it after this episode. Please subscribe and leave a review as it goes a really long way. Now this week we are joined with an athlete that has had exposure to competitions on a world stage and he is no stranger to an athletic podium because he is the world youth bronze medalist, European junior champion and placed fourth at the world championships at the Olympic Stadium in 2017. Please welcome to the podcast, Carl Langford. Carl, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. You are more than welcome, mate. How's, how's life at the moment? Give us a, a sort of, yeah, a day in the life of Carl Langford, um, COVID uh, lockdown 2.0. Well, during this 2.0, we, uh, I'm just moving house at the moment. So a lot of heavy, so training, heavy lifting, like Ellie, she's got me on a tangent, mate. She's um, um, lifting boxes, packing stuff. And if I sit down for five minutes, um, yeah, the whip comes out usually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, has has that affected the relationship so far? Obviously, you know, barely moved in together. Um, Ellie Baker, your your girlfriend, so interesting that she's got you on. Uh, you know, she she's got you doing chores around the house already. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> it's uh, I, I'm 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 scared. It's kind of a, a bad start, you know. Uh, we've to be fair, we've lived together now for like two years. Yeah, at the at the start, I probably say I was wearing the trousers and stuff, and like I kind of just. Every decision we made, I made the decision. Or what we're doing, I'll, I'll make the decision. Now it's starting to change. She's become more bossy. She's more. She's definitely more aggressive. Oh my goodness! If I say something, she get, there's a look in her eyes. I'm going. Mm, oh no! You're I in Get out of there. <laughs> and I'm quite a snappy, fiery person as well. So I've got a tongue. I bite my tongue, and she's the same. With like literally the same. So she seems nice on the outside, and all, you know, blonde. <laughs> she's she's aggressive. She gets a look in your eyes, and I'm like, oh no. It's coming. Oh, mate, it sounds, um, you know, it sounds, it sounds great that you guys, you know, are, are living together. That's fantastic for any relationship. But the fact that the tables are turned a bit and now she's, you know, she's got you, uh, yeah, she's, she's got you whipped, mate. But, um, but no, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating to hear. And again, that just that personal side inside the life of, uh, of you, Carl Langford. But one thing that I want to do to start off the podcast is take it right back to when you were a youngster and uh, you know many podcasts might ask the question you know how did you get into athletics but i'm sort of more interested to find out a bit more what you were like growing up um where was your your background and um yeah tell us a bit about your your journey i was always quite an active kid so like i loved just like playing manhunt and so my mom and dad owned a f- fish and chip shop so we lived above the fish shop it was like a two-story like flat sort of thing and but out the back i'd have like this concrete like garden and then you could there was like garages so to like do this like jackass thing where we would go like we'd watch jackass and we decide we would do our own pranks and jumping off into like bushes like doing bike stunts and stuff and remember <laughs> one of the bad ones was on top of the garage outside my house and it was like a two-story floor okay yeah. and i jumped yeah. off into a colifer and it landed pretty bad downstairs and i actually cut my sack open no Good. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. How old are you? I was, I was probably like 11, 12. Oh, shit. I really wasn't. I wasn't not good. old. Not good. And it was not good. And, and yeah. Actually, you know what happened was I was on this garage and it was like I rode off on my bike. That was it. That was it. I rode off my like little beer, mongoose BMX. I went off did, the you have, did you have the pegs on the back? 
Yeah, yeah, two yeah. and the front. The and the fr- oh, you had, oh, you had all four. Oh, right, you yeah, were really cool, yeah. I had my diamond uh, dust caps as well. Very nice. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that was just my, 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 yeah, I was just quite an active, like always, always out playing, always out like, yeah, pretty much I'd be out on a weekend from the morning. My friends would come and knock, knock me in, you know, be out from the morning, either playing football at the Astro. And we had, the, on my estate, we had the worst Astro. It was like... Sand. No, it was like concrete. It was like, oh, right. it, it was horrible. And it was always glass on it. Like oh, little shit of glass. And like, it was like FIFA Street, like the original FIFA Street. And you're yeah. going, oh, no one actually plays on that in real life. But we did. And it was, oh, we had some, I've had some bad memories there. I remember just, you know, I broke my ankle to shatter, shattered my ankle there. And the Meriden, the Meriden Astro was, was notorious. And on the state, the best thing about his Astro is people didn't like each other. They'd have these organized fights in the Astro. And everyone, right, yeah. it was like these like wooden like ply boards and this like metal thing. So everyone would watch from the outside and there would be a referee. So and you've literally like, got, so let's look at the setup here. You've got three people, right? One is the adjudicator, the person that's going to, you know, watch yeah. out for any foul play, which let's be honest, in a street fight, there's not really much to yeah. officiate. That guy's as much of a spectator as everyone else. You have one from each, per, one from each person oh, okay. fight, usually, okay. yeah. And we had a lot of travellers on the um, travellers on the estate as well, so they love that sort of rule. So it was quite <laughs> a funny growing up. Like you'd hear there'd be someone's about to fight, so you'd all run down to the Astro, and there'd be fifty to a hundred people yeah. just outside looking watching the wow. fight. It was a crazy, and it was a funny uh, childhood. And and also, when, I guess when you're in it, you sort of don't realise, you know, what's yeah. going on. You're just experiencing it, right? And I guess yeah. how has that translated into into later life? Still a fiery character? I feel like I struggled with that a little bit because the way how I was with my friends and how we were and like how I was growing up was, you know, if we had a problem, we'd just fight, but we'd be best friends five seconds later. Or, yeah. you know, we, we was just generally quite like even games, like you step on a, a drain that says FH on it, it means free hit. So you're getting punched in the arm or, you know, you do something, you're getting beaten yeah. up for it. Your birthday, I never went into school for my birthday because it was, it was just really. Like, Oh, never just my mom the day off. Yeah. Wow. Just wouldn't it was just from the, through the beats. It just wasn't worth it. Um Jesus. and yeah, so like really I, I think so when I, it transitioned kind of in a bad way because I felt how I was so when I started meeting people that probably weren't in a, a similar sort of environment, the way I would treat them was probably <laughs> a bit more aggressive and I don't mean anything personal by it but I would just be a bit more aggressive and I'd that was, that's just naturally how you how you dealt with it yeah, yeah and like I'm not like when I was younger I was a really really shy kid I really was shy I, and I'd probably sound fairly confident now so it's only, it's only got worse but I've um <laughs> I think you start to tone it down and stuff and that was one thing I started running and the coach I joined George was a PE teacher at a private school in St Albans one of the best private schools in the country and right, okay yeah they were all very, very well off, posh, and I was really worried when I first joined because I was like, I just don't fit in here. But weirdly enough, it was I made some really, really good friends, and I think that ch- that matured me a lot because I realised like oh, everyone's the same, you know. It's not. Yeah. It's just, there's no. I guess there's no ju- there's no judgment coming into it, is there? Really, and 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 with George Harrison, you I guess your first coach. So you weren't part of the school, but he was one of the school coaches that was out of the club. Yeah, and he oh, would, okay. so the, the, the school boys would train on a Tuesday, Thursday or Saturday. They were oh, yeah. days kind of a train. And, and so I'd jump in with them and yeah, there's a couple of people from other places. And we had uh, one guy I really looked up to called Glenn. He was um, a free case steeplechase guy. I think he ran like eight eight minutes for the, for the free case. So it was very, very good going. And 
I remember watching him run the first time and I was like, that yeah. guy is amazing. Like, you just see him do 400 laps, laps, laps. And I went, that guy's mad. And that, for me, was one of the biggest things. Like, I worked so hard just so I could train with Glenn. That was, yeah. my, that was one of my big things. Like, I just want to be trained with Glenn. And, and gradually, as I got better and better, I pretty much within a year, I started... Tra- I mean, he would trash me on the, the longer stuff. But yeah, yeah. he was one of my biggest role models young. So um, and, and who else in, in that... Um, I guess that phase growing up and... You know, you will look up to certain people, especially in the athletics um, scene. But I guess more broadly, who who did you look up to and who were your inspirations, I guess? Things that got me really going like, was when AJ, Anthony Joshua, won the um, Olympic title in 2012. Yeah. And watching yeah, him do that was just amazing. And, and he grew up across the road, so he grew up in the same oh, state. Wow. So watching him do that was like a big realisation of, wow. Number, just, like, wherever you come from, you can do something. Yeah. It was weird because one, it was just a normal kid hanging around the shops, and then all of a sudden, a few like four years later, he's Olympic gold medalist, and you just didn't see it coming. And I think for me, it was like, oh, this, this, it can happen, man. It's, it's just a normal guy. Yeah, I guess also there's there's so many examples of of people out there that you know will be so close to the the big stage and the big time. Like I, I'm sure that there's you know at a, a young age there would be hundreds of Anthony Joshua's that are you know on the brink of making that success and at quite a young age, I guess 16, 17, you were doing exceptionally well for yourself, not only in the domestic races but also internationally as well. You had an yeah. opportunity to go to the the World Youth Championships um, in 2013, and I guess that was that your first taste of um, sort of major competition, or was the I guess the nationals and stuff was still big as well, right? I'll probably say for me that that just kind of happened. The World Youths, the big one for me was English schools. So I remember when I first started running, I was just doing 400, and I didn't train, uh, and then I just I started training like once a week with George, and then through that summer I got down to 51. Right, okay, yeah. At the end of that year, I, I did an 800 and I run 202 at uh, Watford Open. I thought, oh, that's, there you go, I'll probably start doing 800. And so then I started training more for that winter. My big goal when I was speaking to the guys was everything was about the English schools. Mm. It was a massive, that was the one everything, you know, everyone just wanted to get to the English schools. And I was like, oh, if I can get there, that'd be amazing. And over that winter, I ended up running 151, I think my third race out. Wow. Uh, well, so, you dropped, so you dropped 11 seconds in yeah, pretty, yeah. a couple of races. Yeah, I ran sub two minutes indoors. My first ever, I've never run indoors before. Yeah. Yeah, I did a. Yeah, what one, what one, sort one, of age is this? Are you 15 at this point? I was last year under 17, so 16. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But I had Sean Malloy in my year group who ran 148 at the same age. And yeah, I was like, yeah, he was. I was like, oh, this guy's good. Uh, but never, we didn't race. He didn't get actually doing the school. So I won in the schools. And we didn't race until the nationals. And I was—I remember Jack Crabtree come up to me going, oh, "I think you could beat him." And I was like, I mean, "He might be three or four seconds above him, but I, I thought I was going there to win. I thought I, I thought I could run one forty-eight. Do you, do you um, need that mentality as well going into it? Like in terms of you personally, do you thrive off that sort of right? I'm going for the win. Nothing mm-hmm. else is—I'm not going for second place. Basically, do you, do you have that in your mind? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's for me. Is uh, there's been times where I've been pissed off at getting second place. Like, like in London, where I got fourth. I think a lot of people would, would have been happy for, happy with that. And I remember finishing, and you can actually see on the TV. Like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I go. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, should have medaled. Uh, to be honest, I probably I, I, if I got a silver, I probably would have been pissed because I didn't get the gold. So. I've always not been happy after a race because I've always wanted more. And uh, everyone kind of always says that and stuff. But, you know, I, I see a lot of people when they finish, they're like, oh, I'm so happy. And, 
you know, Commonwealth Games, I looked at the, I looked at the thing and I saw myself second. I, I was I was so angry. Wow. I was fuming. And everyone yeah. looked at me like, what's the matter? And I was like, what do you mean? I didn't win. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. So I think I just, I've always had that drilled into me. Even like, I'm not a great football player. I've always wanted to win. I always tried my hardest. I was never good enough like, to be a great footballer, but I thought I was. And I tried my hardest and I, I give it a go. I think that is, that that was just always instilled in me as a younger athlete. I think so. Yeah, I mean that that is so important, and I think that as you as you do get older and the the dedication has to increase for you to get to that top level. Like if I'm talking from my personal experience with athletics, I was never at that stage of winning national titles, so it wasn't quite. I didn't quite have that hunger, I guess, or that that need to really, okay, if I don't win this, it's it's a negative. But, you know, I guess for you guys that are at the top and the, the margins are so fine, we've seen over and over again, we can get into the details about times and things like that. But the reality is a race could be, like you say, in, in London, you know, you came fourth fourth place and it's like 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3 of a second. It's literally like, you know. It's, time doesn't even close. matter. It's, it's about, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter how far you're off it, you didn't. Still you didn't it. do it so it's like it's not i think sometimes you can look into things but at the end of the day you can't go back in time do you know what i mean you've you, you what's happened's happened and you've just gotta you know go yeah i messed up and just gotta go again you know yeah. and no, it's, uh, it's interesting i think that athletes are quite hard on themselves and what i've realized recently with the work that i do i'm working sales and with that work it's it's very distinct whether you win or lose it's you know do you sell or do you you know it's the client walked away pretty much so i yeah, guess yeah. you know in that sense i think athletics has helped me because i'm quite hard on myself and yeah. you know if you're your biggest critic it doesn't matter what anyone else says because you've already you know gone through that whole process and what i'd be really interested to hear carl is that you know in those examples where you know you had you've had a success at the the european junior championships where you, you won gold there but then for the other races and it's you know even when you did medal what did you learn from those races that you then took into the next one um, to try and improve, I guess, if you didn't get the win? Well, losing, you learn way more losing than you do winning. That was almost, I think, the last few years, some, one, some of the worst things that could have happened to me was coming forth and meddling at the Commonwealth. And that's something I've realised now, that everything just was, the edge to my training just wasn't there. And it's only really, I'll probably say until last year, this year, our edge of training was missing and it was only down to myself, just not pushing hard enough and I'd drop out. Just And I think I've learned a lot from just the experience of it. But like you were saying with races you don't win, that's where I was learning most, you know. I feel like in London 2017, I had such an up and down year all before it. And I think everything that I'd done led up to the one moment, you know, I was, I, the way I was racing was different and every race I was trying different tactics and actually my last race before London World Champs I tried a different tactic and that was coming from the back and I won it and I thought that works and I think everything aligned and that's what helped get me into a World Champs final and I think good confident from there. I think athletes constantly battle with the the mix of winning and a PB you know if you win a race and you don't run fast you're like well i could have run faster or if you run fast but you don't win a race you're like why well, don't i win the race so i think naturally you know you're always battling against yourself and sort of thinking you know how can i improve but i think you know that's where like you say you learn so much and we you know we could go through the the age groups if you like and and talk about those individual races but i think that you know the big one and you know the climax so far would be that london 2017 um world championships and yeah a bit of a an up and down into the into the championships itself but 
I mean, what an event, you know, we had it in London. Tell us a bit about sort of that, the run up into that year, sort of things that you might have been going through, as well as, I guess, the actual process of being picked for that world championship team, um, which for you would have been the second time. It was a weird year because I, I was injured for 2016. I hadn't done, hadn't done much training for that 2016 year and I was just still figuring everything out and I was still young. So actually in the February, March time, I made the decision that I was going to move, uh, move coaching. 20 years old and I was like, what the, what? I don't have a clue. I was like, I, I had no clue how any other coaching system worked. I was in a very simple but effective coaching system. But to step it up a level, I was like, I need to be in the I need to be the best. And then I I I met John. Yeah, and I love this setup down here. So that's obviously where I am now. Let's go to the selection process. Okay, so obviously you've run the time. You've got the selection spot at British Champs. That how it works. And yeah. then and then you're in the team. Okay, what happens from that point onwards? Yeah, so John obviously is a uh, is a British athletics coach and. So he works quite close with them and I'd know I'd got the time and I'd, I'd come third at British Champs. So it wasn't guaranteed and they were talking about even selecting a Saji who come fifth above me. And then head to heads, I had beaten Saji in every race I'd done. So I knew that I was going to get selected. But there's always that, although you don't feel like it, there was a slight doubt in my mind, maybe. Because when you get, you, you basically wait, there's a day and you get told this is the day the selection is going to happen. And uh, I got a call from Rob. I think I was in London. I just I bought some Prada shoes or something stupid. It's something stupid. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got the call. And it was like, yeah, you've been selected for the world champs and thing. And then you go at that point. Then you start getting emails come through about kits, stock, and what size are you? The the holding camp. So it was Paris for London. So it was going to Paris. And uh, then we'd speak to John. And John said, yeah, Paris. You'd speak to guys. And that would all get sorted out. And then... Pretty much from there, you start planning like when are we going to go into the holding camp and what are you going to race going into that? And and that was it for me. And one of the big things for me was I needed to have a couple more races that were a good level, but something I was able to work on tactics on. And so I went so, out to so Ireland. More, more like a confidence booster. So, and, 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 just and to a, test stuff out. Yeah, just a, just a practice because it's completely different racing when you've got to try and chase the time. And through the season, the time was 145.9 exactly. And I'd run 146 dead a few times. And I'd actually in Hengo, when my, I think it was my third race, I run 145.91. And oh, I was, nightmare. Yeah. Uh, so you're chasing time. So I ended up getting it at London uh, Diamond League. I run 145.5. Yeah. And then the British Champs was a, a little bit after that. So it was like, okay, now we just need to have some races where you relax. You're not having to chase a time or you're not like got the pressure. You can relax and just try stuff. And that. And I went to Ireland, just sat back and I just, just out kicked everyone because I was worried that year. I was really worried that I'm not quick enough on the last hundred. And when I started doing it, I was like, oh no, I actually am quick enough. No, I'm, I'm fine. Quick over the last hundred. <laughs> and um yeah, after that day in Ireland, yeah, just had a, I'm pretty relaxed with things and, and yeah, I won the race, got a bit of prize money and then went out and got absolutely hammered two weeks before <laughs> the World Champs. Oh, um, classic. <laughs> my, my manager, Gary, he's, he's renowned, he's Paul Radcliffe's uh, husband and he's renowned for being very, yeah, and he's very renowned for being very straight up and he'll, he'll just tell you how it is. And I love that about him. That's my favourite thing. And I remember I, my flight was to get back to the UK was at nine. And I remember waking up and I see Adam Clark as Adam Clark was my roommate and he wasn't on the bed. And I was like, 
I looked at the time, it was like nine. I was like, I've got to get to the airport. I was, I was still drunk. And I rung Gary. No like, I, I, I rung him and he went, no, you fucking haven't. No, you haven't. He, I didn't even say anything. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've done the Morton Games in Ireland twice. And I've missed my flights both times. So I've, and then I did one in Athlone as well in Ireland indoors. I've missed my flight for that. So oh, car. Uh, yeah, in Ireland, I've got 100% flight missed rate. <laughs> Uh, but I've also 100%, got 100% win rate. Win rate. Yeah, so, nice. So I do that race, miss my flight, and then we go to Paris a couple of days after. I thought I was training okay, and John was like, "Yeah, you're training okay. Yeah, we're good. We looked a couple of like races back from when I did the World Champs in Beijing. Obviously, I was only 18 or yeah, no, yeah. 19 when I done it. So we looked at how I'd race there and just training out of Paris, and sessions were going okay. <laughs> I don't think John would. I think John was a little bit worried. Uh, going into world champs that weren't going to go very well because really? yeah. I wasn't training very good. And there's something about the team atmosphere, just the whole, there's something and something, I feel like something magical happens there and everything changes. Right, turn, okay. There's something in my head that just turns on and I just get amped up and I just like, I love it. And, and it happened in Paris. I just, something started to just, just switch and I just, I felt something starts ha happening in it. And then you, you get into the, the actual environment where all the teams are in the hotel and stuff and yeah and you, you go there with your, your gb kit and it's just a very surreal and a quite exciting moment really and i think it's a it's one of these it's a setting where it either makes or breaks a lot of athletes okay. yeah. and for me one of the things is i step my game up as soon as it's that championship and team environment i just have a big it was almost like a big 10 percent gain yeah, and I know going into it, I'm very good at a championship performance. I can get through the rounds, and uh, it's something I can be very, very dangerous in. So, yeah, that going into London was yeah wasn't completely smooth sailing, and just you know just grinded it out. I still had the belief, and actually in the semi in the heats of London, I actually came sixth and won one forty six one, and I got through as the fastest loser. Yeah, and I remember saying in an interview, I was like. Um, if I get because I didn't know if I was going to make it through I was like if I make it through I'm making it to the final and I remember yeah. going to John after I was like it was like that to me I was like I'm going to make the final tomorrow because I was like nice. I was like no more messing about and yeah I end up coming second in my semi-final barely easy and making it to the final so I think it was I had this mentality of just there, there was a belief there and I wasn't in incredible shape. I just believed I could do it. And Mate, it's, it's, fa it's fascinating to hear. And also one thing that really stands out is that sort of, you know, I think a word that, or phrase that gets thrown around a lot is that championship performer. And what, so what do you think makes you a, a championship performer then? Because, you know, you clearly showed it and going into that, many people may not have known you or, you know, you, you weren't going in with any, any form as such, you know, yeah. What makes a championship performer? That's the, the headline question. It's that, that bit I was saying earlier where you get into the team environment and it's just something happens and a lot of people can get really overwhelmed by it and some people can thrive. And that's what I think you see happen with people like Mo. You know, he thrives in the big stage and that's for me. I get onto that track with, you know, in London and I don't know how many it fits, 50, 60,000 people. Yeah, I, th it's I think it's even more. It's about 80,000. With West Ham, they only fit in about 10,000 though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, same as the Emirates, mate. I mean, yeah. terrible. Um, you, you get there and the, when they call your name and you get the cheers, you're like, wow, that is just like, 
you get the goosebumps when you're ready to go and you're running and as soon as you hit the last 200 and you just hear the, the roar of the crowd you're like this is something that people can get overwhelmed by or people embrace it and that's what I've done I just I embraced the whole I had I embraced the whole situation I embraced everything and um yeah I ended up coming out and doing pretty good to honest, I should have had a bronze medal because the Kenyan he bloody yeah. failed for EPO and human growth hormone so yeah uh, I should be a bronze medalist I should have been a gold medalist I didn't leave it late yeah I mean yeah easy to say right easy to say that, that you know it was milliseconds pretty much it's so so close and for anyone who hasn't watched that race feel free to go and check it out because it's a good one to watch i was there live watching it for 300 meters um 300 meter point and i see carl basically and i was just like what is he doing he's left it later he's left it so late he's at the back and i obviously i'd saw it, seen you on tv the day before um or a couple of days before whenever it was and i thought you know, like it looks really good here, and you know you're coming into that last 200, and then you start kicking, and you're going and going and going, and genuinely, I'm screaming, and I'm going, he's going to get it, he's going to get it, he's going to get it, and it was agonisingly close. Yeah. So for those that haven't watched it, go like feel free and, and go and watch it. But I guess also, yeah, a bit frustrating, a bit of a sour point about the sport that you know we often have to deal with is those individuals that um, that will cheat and will dope, and yeah. you know, how do you think that? that's affected your career being fourth at the world championships rather than a bronze medalist at the world championships um it's it's a big it would be a big thing because there was the only medalist british athletics had was mo farah and for mo farah was at the time last track race and you know me and him are you know quite you know good friends and stuff and for me it would have been a passing of the guard or that's what it felt like for mm. me and i felt like i was robbed of it and and also there's you know i don't want the medal i don't want the medal now i don't you know i haven't earned it so I, if the guy didn't fail free pr or whatever and he, he say he didn't i still would have probably had the same how i am now i'd be the same so it's kind of like i'm just you just get frustrated because that, that can change everything i think one place makes a big big difference and uh for me i, I messed that race up big time as well because and this is, I was extremely relaxed going into the final. Like, I, it was, I remember John saying to me, like, I was just literally, it was like I was about to go to a party. That's how relaxed yeah. I was. I remember doing my warm-up for the final and I was extremely explosive. I was like, oh, I feel, I feel good. And John was looking at me going, oh, God, this is, this is looking very good. Yeah. This is the best I've ever looked. And I remember him going to me, do not go too crazy because that's yeah. how I felt. I felt like I could just... Yeah, yeah. Just go for it. So I remember what he was saying out of my head and I'm just thinking, well, if I if I just let them go stupid, opportunity is going to arise. And I actually want to be a lot further up than I was. I I switch off when I, in an 800. For some reason, I get to 300 to go and I just drift off. I start looking at things. In the middle yeah. of a race, I really? do this a lot. And this is something <laughs> that works on the last couple of years is just trying to be more present and not... Focus on the racing hand. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I was running on that back straight and I was, gonna, I was going to myself, I'm going to try and run a different technique to see how easy it feels. And I started running in a different way to see if I, I could put my foot down more, but not try. Wait, and, and this, this is in uh, the race? This is in the race. This, this is, is like in the, race. the thought, final oh, of the I'll world championships. Yeah, I thought, you know, I'll try and run different. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing I'm, I'm looking down going, oh, I like that. I'm landing very well. I look up and they pulled away from me. I'm like, I was like, oh no. And I remember I hit the bend. And this is, I can see this. I remember looking at the French pole vault, or Levine, is it? Yeah, the Villeneuve. 
hear me, he's going crazy. I'm looking at him going, he's going mad. And I looked and I see bosses at the front and it was only <laughs> the race of the race that you're in. <laughs> it was only it was only it was only ahead of me before I started doing my new stride. I was like, what's <laughs> happened here? I was like, it's completely changed. So I was like and I was watching the guy as I walked past, as I ran past him. <laughs> and then it's the last hundred. And then, and then all of a sudden I hit the last hundred and it was like an ear deafening. Like the, the sound that was coming from the stadium was just ridiculous. And I remember it just was like your ears were popping. It was so yeah. loud. And I was just, and I remember getting to the last hundred, I'd overtaken two people just before the last hundred. And I was running, I was going, Okay, I've overtaken two, and this is I'm doing this. He's like, I'm like, overtaken two, and I'm catching these three guys up. And I was like, okay, that's one, two, three. Okay, okay. If I keep going, I'm near the middle here. I was like, oh, this guy's done. I'm coming for him. I was like, <laughs> and and I'm counting in my head how many people I'm. I'm like, am I sure there's not another person? I'm looking as I'm running, and yeah, that's in my head. I'm just, I was just so relaxed. And if I think I was a bit more present, it's annoying because you say if you could go back, you'd do it different. And oh, that is the most mental story I've ever heard in my life. That I, often, often you do, you do wonder. You sort of go, well, you know, that athlete is, you know, in front of eighty thousand people. What is going on in their head? But to summarise, 300 metres to go, you decide to use a new running technique. Start looking at your feet. Oh, wait, hold on, they've gone. 200 metres to go. Oh, the Villainese just cheering on that guy that's winning in my race. I'll, I'll have a look up. Oh, wait, there's a couple in front. 100 metres to go. I've gone past two, so that's one, two. There's eight in the race. So that's right, so there's a couple more to still, to still get. And then you come to the, far, the final 50 metres and, you know, it's, it's literally a dip for the line. And that's yeah. your 300 metres at World Championships. Yeah, it's just... It- <laughs> It's stupid. And John, I've always like well juiced in, in in Ukraine. In the final, the guy's gone off forty eight seconds for the first. Yeah, I, I actually watched. I watched that race back. It's pretty funny actually. Forty eight seconds for the first four. And I remember just running, and I was watching Liam D, and I see him <laughs> screaming for me on the in the stadium. I'm like, oh, look, it's Liam, and he's jumping over like these metal barriers. I remember nearly falling. I was like, I like nearly started chuckling to myself in the back. <laughs> And this is just during the race. And then next thing I know, I'm like catching up like the six guys ahead of me. And I, but I've always been like that, you know? It's just been, yeah, it's just, it's pretty stupid, really. Unreal, mate. Absolutely unreal. I love it. Um, uh, it's that, that personal insight that you would not get on any other podcast if I asked you how to run a, the best 800 metres in the world. Um, oh, I wouldn't say run it like that. No. <laughs> I don't lose concentration. Uh, absolutely fascinating. Well, on Crickcast Pod, we often ask some Crickfire questions. So they're shorter questions, but they sometimes do delve into a bit more detail. Yeah. Um, the first uh, question that I've got, what championships have the best after party? I've said earlier, the Morton Games, what an after party that is. That you finish the race and the race, the first race I won where before London 2017, I there's a picture of me and you see two guys and you're and you see me behind like this and you look and you go well that guy's in the middle is not winning and i pushed them out the way and i, I got through and I, and this is i'm talking 10 meters before the line and um the race organizers the irish love it they love a bit of contact yeah, and yeah, yeah. i thought i was going to get disqualified and they didn't disqualify me they give me the win <laughs> and the, 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 the was it a, was it a foul there's no way you should have got away with it we need VAR for it. You basically you're doing the breaststroke were, past these two guys. They 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 were being dicks. They were kind of like <laughs> they were coming, so they both come together. And oh, okay. I was like, no, I can't. <laughs> if it was earlier, I could have gone round, but I I just decided to go through the middle. Yeah, <laughs> that's how much I was pushing them out of the way. And uh, 
Yeah. And the, I remember you finished and you're in the infield and the, the race director come up to me, slapped me. He was like, oh, I love, I love it here. It's great. <laughs> Give him a point of Guinness over here. And he, he <laughs> gave me a point of Guinness. That's a good accent. And uh, must be my Irish heritage. And uh, yeah, and then there's like a little clubhouse uh, um, across the way. And you, we all go over there. You, you have a pint of Guinness. You're in your race kit. Nice. Uh, you're drinking your Guinness. And then one thing leads to another. But there's... Oh, mate, that's such a good idea. You need so to do good. that in an event. Yeah, just like you finish the race, you just give them a pint. That's quality. Yeah, it's good. But it's pretty bad. But I had another really bad one. And British athletics really weren't happy with me. Uh, <laughs> my first world champs in Beijing. I'm this skinny little blonde kid. Uh, and I've messed up my race. I haven't really said... I've actually... No, I've never said this. I actually shit myself before the race. Oh, right. Uh, no toilet paper. Oh, no. Uh, I had i was so there was a, like a terrorist scare while i was on the bus right so i didn't get to warm up i tried to go to the toilet there was no toilet paper after I've, I've had a nervous poo oh no and mate it was the worst worst thing of my life i've raced my heat and i was so glad once i'd i'd come like fifth and i was so glad once i'd finished i was so glad it was over with because i'm having to run with shitty pants my life and I just was like, this is just so bad. But then I was pretty much yeah, after that, I was left my a 19 year old with no one there. Like my coach wasn't there. I had there's a very big difference from a junior competition where they're all modicoddling you and they're really over the like, make sure you do everything right. This I was left to my own devices. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was going around Beijing by myself just exploring. <laughs> but then so the party was the in after big, party, yeah. like, last room in free alcohol. And I was with Richard Kilty, James Ellington, Harry. Uh, there was a few of us, and I was shot in all these like. <laughs> loves it. All loves these it. Vodkas. And uh, we end up going out, and I'm hammered at this point. And we go to this nightclub, and there's a load of the team. There must be about 30 of us all go to this nightclub after the after party. And um, I was an idiot. And I'm so. I'm one of the most stupid people you'll ever meet. I might. Might not seem like it. I probably do seem like it, but I'm so stupid. I do stupid things that you just shouldn't do. And I was in a nightclub and these people were getting served drinks at the bar in China. And I was taking their drinks and shotting them and down people's mouths. <laughs> and I... Oh, God. And I remember this very, very... I really remember this. We walked out of the nightclub to walk to another one. It was Harry went to me, Morgan. Oh, you guys should go home. And I agreed. I was like, let's go home now. It's like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Let's get back in a taxi and go. And it was like this courtyard bit. And we took a left. I have no record. That was the last thing I remember. And we, we're flying the next morning. I think our flight's at nine. Um, and I wake up and this guy's thrown me out of a taxi at 6.30 in the morning. I'm in some random street in China. I have no phone. I, I bought a brand new Gucci wallet and it had no <laughs> card, no money. The only oh, thing man. I had in my wallet was the hotel address. Luckily, I, was, I couldn't walk. And it was it just started raining and I had mud I had these white shorts on I had mud all over oh my God. and my foot was ripped and I I tried to this is how stupid I am I was like I could do this trick where you could stamp on a bike lock and they come off I tried to take someone's bike I kept falling over I was just I had no I remember, <laughs> I remember. oh my God luckily and this is about seven now I've been here for forty five minutes an hour. And I, I don't know how long it was. It felt like a long time. And this young couple 
like come down i'm like oh, i can't I'm like, i remember crying i'm like i can't i don't know where i am and luckily they found the, the thing and they paid for my taxi back oh nice and nice. i'd love to say thank you to them because i mean i was in some they probably they probably listen to the podcast we're worldwide so you know shout out to those thank you. the young couple this young chinese couple who paid for my taxi back and i managed to get back i was back and security go from as i'm walking through all the team already like downstairs. oh no <laughs> i can't even walk and my coach now john he was a team coach at the time i wasn't obviously training with him at this point oh, no. um i try and pick up this bottle of water and he said it took me about 10 minutes i haven't packed any of my suitcases so i'm sharing with chris o'hare he's basically packed my bags for me i've gone to sleep on the bed we're meant to be leaving and apparently they're throwing water on my face and I'm not waking up. I don't remember this bit. And, I'm not waking up and they're just throwing stuff at me and I've just not. And yeah, I remember, remember Neil looking at me and they were all the stuff were looking at me and I was just done in. But I slept the whole flight home, the whole 15 hours. I Right, the second, second quickfire question. <laughs> in the 800 metres, what we've seen over the last couple of years especially, a lot of juniors coming through, as well as a lot of, us, of the established athletes doing incredibly well. Who would you say is your biggest rival at the, at the moment? Or going into next year, into the Olympic year, who is the one person that you've seen that you really want to beat or that you should look out for? There's a couple of guys. And, and one guy I've said for a long time, and he's similar age to me now but josh kerr and i he was for, before the Dodge world champions i said he was my one guy i thought could win a medal um and he'd done well but out of the younger guys you've got max bergen that guy's just a freak of nature he's his mentality is just run hard and and i love watching him but there's a couple of guys thomas staines i think people are underestimated. he didn't have a great british champs in 2019 but you can't count him out. He's run 45 for a flat four. He's quick. I think he's one to look out for. He's still run 145. I think he'll be a big, big contender. Um, and guys like Oliver Dustin and Ben Patterson, them two are extremely quick. I've seen them 400 times and uh, they look very similar to me in the way. But Daniel Rowden, Elliot Giles, me and Elliot Giles, I can say for sure, uh, will 100% be running 143 to 142 next year. If we don't, we, yeah, something's happening sure. bad. Okay. Um, yeah. And Spencer Thomas probably will be running 144 at least because that guy can train us three from what we're doing right now. This time of year, we're in 145 shape right now. So, wow. yeah, we're, we're all in some really good shape. And uh, so I can speak for, on us three. We're going to be very good. So, but Daniel Rowden. Um, I think it's, it's, the fact that the name, it's the fact that the names come through and they keep coming and keep coming. The fact that, you know, it's going to be a very exciting British champs, let alone a, an exciting oh, Olympics next year. It's going amazing. to be, um, it's going to be ridiculous. Um, Carl, the best, yeah. best thing that can happen. hundred percent. And, um, and in terms of the sport, if there was one thing that you could change in this sport, what would it be? There needs to be a big change in the way the sports run. We're not back in the 1950s anymore. Um, the sport is being run by too many people who are too politically correct and, and things need to... Athletics could... The, the viewership over the lockdown, it was, you know, Diamond Leagues were hitting, you know, peaks of 1.4 million live viewers. So the views are there, but there's no money. There's not... The problem is when there's no money is you can't fund other athletes. It's just... You know, it's just a big problem and, and there needs to be something done that 
races need to be fun. The Tombridge Twilight that you guys have helped out with is amazing. Tom Bedford has done an amazing job of the Highgate uh, races, does the Q10K, uh, the Night at the Highgate. Their races are amazing. So we need younger guys who are, you know, there's the beer tent. You know, if there's beer at a competition, no one cares. It's fine. No, it's people gonna are going to go and watch. <laughs> I'm betting. Bet it. We are missing out on betting. Yeah. People love watching horses race and they love watching greyhounds race. They're massive. My friends try always try and bet on me and there's just no way you can bet. There's wow. big, big stuff you can, but there needs to be more betting companies need to be involved in athletics uh, because it's fun. Everyone loves a bet. You know, it's just fun. Um, I want to bet on myself, frankly. But, yeah, um, win some money. No, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just needs to stop being so politically correct and actually, you know, it's a younger generation coming through now. And it just needs the sport needs to move on, and that's it. Just seems to be it just seems to be stagnant at the moment, and hopefully, uh, it seems to be changing. With like Mark Hookways, obviously, set up some great meets. Tom, uh, hopefully, we can just get a couple of people now that just younger guys setting up some really good meets. That's something I'd love to do in the future. Set up some good meets, and I think Gateshead didn't get the Diamond League this year. I yeah, saw. Correct. I think could be a. I think it's a good thing because the Diamond League take too much control. And I think if we can get good, high standard British meets for British athletes and maybe some foreign athletes, it'll be amazing. Yeah, you're saying you're saying come up with a come up with an alternative to the Diamond League to to get us a different sort of league, or you know, maybe a fight like a like the BMCs, but maybe like something different. It can be like a the like the Elite League or whatever, and you yeah. have Manchester, Gateshead, Watford, Brighton, and Lee Valley, that just yeah. throwing it out I there. Think, I do think that one one thing that needs to that does need to happen is that we need to stop having race directors and instead have events managers turn up to athletics events because the reality is our officials are incredible. You know, they're all you know they're all volunteers pretty all much, volunteers. and and we'll get them. You know, they're so passionate about the sport that we'll get them there, and that yeah. I think is the main the main logistical side with the running bit. And the, but, the volunteers need to be need to be rewarded for what they're doing as well. The thing is that they're, they're they're doing such a good job. There needs to be an incentive for more people to want to be an official, you know, because it can it these this is what the sport runs on is is officials. And if if we don't, it just seems to be no guidance for them sort of guys. And I did some officiating, and um, I had to do it as my community service for yeah. my uh, incident I had. And do you know what? I have a new respect for them. They work extremely hard. And actually, do you know what? It's one of the funnest days I've had. Other than my car broke down, I got stuck in Nottingham for the day. But it was, yeah, I think it's... Uh... Mate, this is fascinating because I actually know what you're talking about here because you were in a massive high-vis jacket at the front of this uh, and the start line of our um, under 20 cross country championships and i was standing yeah. there i was going fucking hell that guy looks familiar and it was you it was you carl you're standing there and your big beard and your yeah. hat big beard and uh, and your big orange jacket you look great but do you know what i was so worried that they were going to because of the incident i had with one official i thought they're going to be just they're going to hate me they're going to be nasty because i had that problem at the british champs i was treated really badly uh, in 2019 and 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 actually i got to the point where i didn't want to compete in the uk anymore i was i pulled out of Birmingham diamond league for that reason and i was really worried to do this efficient event i was so nervous and they treated me so well and they were so nice and yeah it was just you know i have a big respect for them and, and i think there needs to be a big incentive for to try and you know th there should be enough money in the sport that these volunteers can become paid because they deserve it i think so, so. love it yeah i mean there's loads of points there and i think 
there is a lot to there is a lot to change about the sport but there's also a lot that we love about it and high i think at the crux of it high performance athletics is where it's at you know if we can at least get if we can facilitate that to get a, a meet then the athletes are going to come and that's where i go back to sort of like the events manager you need someone who knows about how to put on a good event so that because athletes will then come it does you know as long as you get the people there the athletes are going to be there and yeah all the logistics will sort themselves out um the yeah. done with with darts you know he, he it was good but he's made it amazing now but it's a bit mm. it's a massive thing with darts. so yes you know, someone like him or something just get him in the sport and uh, you know freshen it up a bit love it a couple more quick questions and um, just before we finish off for you what would be the best and worst advice that you've ever received something that someone said that you completely agree with you've taken on board might be inspiring and then the other side of it where you've gone i'm not listening to that i'm not agreeing with it i've been good uh, i've had I've, been get, I've got so much good advice from a lot of people but one of the biggest things is and this is George Harrison who gave me this before I used to race. Before I'd race, all he would say was, Kyle, get involved. And that's what he'd say. For me, yeah. that was just, just get involved. Have yeah. fun and get involved. And do you know what? And that's what I've done. And I've, I've had that mantra since I was younger. I've got involved and, yeah, just keep getting sometimes, involved. Sometimes, it, sometimes it gets you into a bit of trouble. Sometimes it, it pays off. So there you yeah. go. You've got, you got to push it. And the, the worst advice. <laughs> uh, if someone says stuff to me i just ignore them like i've, <laughs> I've had had some uh some random people set, telling me I, I should like if i join them as a coach they would uh they promise me the world and stuff like that sort of advice like and then you see that nothing happens like you get a lot of that but yeah i did have a cut like one guy say yeah it was actually i was at a race and he just said yeah you shouldn't be in the sport you're not good enough and i was like mm, i'll keep going i'm gonna keep going with it yeah i'm gonna <laughs> so, give it a go yeah. mate thanks very much um yeah nice uh and then if we could get one person on this podcast that you'd stop your day to listen to who would that person be and why and i'm not just saying this is not a biased thing i'm, I'm this is from the generally from the bottom of my heart i would say elliot giles because that guy is probably gonna listen to this is interesting but it's very bizarre but it's just the way <laughs> his mind works is you everyone would love him because it's just extremely unique and his story is amazing as well and uh yeah no i I would love to do I, I've heard it, but I would still listen to it. Or Richard Kilty, because that guy's story is just amazing as well. Them two, their stories are amazing. They're, the way they, um, yeah, just just everything about them is, is you know, the way Elliot grew up, he got in, obviously, a motorbike crash and stuff like that. And Kilty grew up in, in, in care with Rabbi Youssef, the 400-meter runner. Uh, yeah. You know, both got amazing stories in there. Oh, it's a great list. So maybe we can um, sort something out, uh, use your... And they're both funny as hell as well. Good, good stuff. Well, <laughs> I've um, I've thoroughly enjoyed our, our little chat. Um, you know, plenty of stories and plenty of lessons for our younger athletes to take away. You know, yeah, what a great experience, Carl. So, firstly, you know, thank you for your time and and thanks to to the listeners for not only getting involved in the in the chat on Instagram, but also keep sending us in your requests and keep liking and, and rating the um, the podcast because it makes a massive difference. We've got on pod charts, we're constantly in the top 50 and running podcasts across the UK. We want to be across the world. So uh, yeah. we didn't come here to take part, we came here to take over. And I'm here to take part. came here to take over. <laughs> I absolutely love that accent to be fair. Probably yeah. good. Um, but um, yeah, from myself, Sam Crick and Carl Lankford, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. Cheers, Carl. Thank you. Cheers, thanks mate.